Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Good morning. Good to see you today. My name is Josh. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to all of you joining us online too. Hey, uh, Walter Knight told the story of an old Scottish woman in Scotland. And she would go across rural Scotland from home to home selling her goods and kind of peddling her goods. She sold uh, thread and buttons and shoestrings and And she would go along through the countryside whenever she would come to an intersection and kind of the road split and it was unmarked. She took a stick and she threw it up in the air and when it landed, whichever way it pointed, that's the direction she would go. So if it pointed to her left, she went to her left. If it pointed to her right, she took the path to the right. Well, one day she was doing this and somebody noticed that uh, she was out there doing that and that she kept throwing the stick up and down. They just saw this lady throwing a stick around. They're like, what is going on? And so they go talk to her and they ask, they said, hey, can you, do you need some help? What's, what's happening here? And she said, oh, she explained, well, see, I, you know, I go about and I just, I throw a stick up in the air and I trust that's the way God wants me to go when it lands, whichever way it points. And said, oh, that makes sense. That's pretty neat. So why do you keep throwing it? And she said, well, I really want to go this way, but the stick keeps pointing that way. And so she kept throwing it until it finally pointed the direction she wanted to go. You know, sometimes, uh, you ever do that? You just, you you do what you want to do instead of maybe what what God would have you do. And how do you know what God wants you to do? I I think it's related to uh, his call on all of us. We'll see that in the text this morning. I think it's related too to how he's uniquely made you. And he's given you some gifts and abilities and experiences that no one else on the face of the earth has. And he uses all of that for good. And I think that call can be knowable in your life. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that this morning. We're also gonna be in Acts chapter six. So if you wanna turn your, in your Bible to Acts chapter six, you can do that now. And then uh, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna unpack that and kind of work our way through this morning. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave us alone, but you sent your spirit to guide us, to help us, uh, to, to change us too, Lord. And uh, Jesus, I thank you too. You didn't leave us without anything to do. You, uh, you have a call on all of us. And I believe too that you have some dreams for each of us, uh, things you've uniquely gifted us and equipped us to be able to do and where you've placed us. So uh, would you uh, reveal those things today and and encourage our hearts in that truth? Help me, Holy Spirit, as I teach your word, um, be faithful to it. Uh, Teach me even as I teach. And uh, Jesus, might we leave change today and encouraged. It's in your name we pray, 
Amen. Well, if you got your Bible, open up to Acts chapter six, and uh, we're gonna just start right there in verse one of chapter six in Acts. Uh, if you're new this morning, we're, we're working our way through the New Testament book of Acts. Uh, some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I kind of like to think of it more as the Acts of uh, the Holy Spirit through, his, through Jesus' church. And what we're seeing is after Jesus ascended, after his resurrection and ascension, we see the church still uh, carrying out his mission. And uh, we see some incredible things happen. And in Acts chapter six, we, we pick up the, the account, pick up the narrative, we read this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, that seems to be a pattern, doesn't it? As we, we read through Acts, those of you who've been with us, uh, uh, we're just seeing the church, the early church and these early Christians grow in their faith and grow numerically. But the thing I like about chapter six is when we get to chapter six, I finally go, okay, this is a church. It's a real church. Because look what comes next. A complaint arose. <laughs> These are real people, huh? A complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Uh, the Hellenists are those who were uh, Greek-speaking Jewish people, so their native language is Greek, Greek culture. And uh, they've come, come to faith in Jesus. And then there's uh, the Hebraic uh, people who, who speak Aramaic and they have their heritage in, in Judaism and, and all those things. And there was some division among these groups of people. And the 12, uh, the 12 apostles, the leaders of the church, they summoned the full number of the disciples. So they called the first church meeting. <laughs> first, church, first church business meeting happens here in Acts chapter six. And they said, it's, it's not right that we should give up preaching we shouldn't give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. See, this is what God's called us to do. It's what he's appointed us to do, this specific thing. Uh, we're to preach and teach the word. And so uh, it's not that serving tables isn't important. It's incredibly important. They called a meeting about it. It's just that uh, that's not for us. There, there's other people who can accomplish this and do this in the church. And serve tables, by the way, it could mean... Um, Serving tables, like literally, you know, serving food, could also refer to uh, money tables and distributing funds to those in need, and could be translated really either way. Therefore, they said, uh, "Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will appoint to this duty." Now, I think this verse is maybe one of the most succinct. Uh, qualifications for, for somebody leading in a church that you can find. Uh, three, three folds, uh, a man uh, who's of good reputation and it's characterized by the fact that they're full of the spirit and they're full of wisdom, this, this kind of threefold test. And uh, you only know that really over time. And so the, the people would know that and they pick out some people and, and the apostles, they said, so you guys do that. We're gonna devote ourselves though to prayer and to the ministry of the word, to what God's called us to do. And so what they said pleased the whole church, pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. We read these seven guys that they choose. First is Stephen, he's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and then Philip is listed. Over the next three weeks, we're gonna look at the ministry and life of Stephen, and some of the ministry of Philip gets recorded in the book of Acts. And then these next guys, we really don't know anything about. Uh, 
Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas. Uh, we know a little bit about him that he was a proselyte of Antioch. In other words, he was uh, a convert who came from the city of Antioch. And so these are the ones they pick and they set them before the 12. They take them uh, to the leaders of the church and they, they prayed, they all laid hands on them and appointed them out to do this ministry and to fulfill this need that was there among the people. And then look what happens. After this, the word of God continued to increase. The church grew and its mission continued and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Even a great many of the Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. God was at work among these people, wasn't he? That's pretty exciting times in that church. And I would commend to you that I think that's because they're living out the calling that Jesus has placed on them. And it's a call that he's placed on the entire church throughout history, not just this early church. Uh, Jesus, friends, placed a call on all of us, on all of us. Okay, so what is it? Well, when I was in youth ministry, we used to refer to it this way as GC squared. I know, you didn't think you were coming to an algebra lesson today, did you? Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, But GC squared, what do I mean by that? Well, there's two things, that's where the squared piece comes in, that Jesus gives as a general call to all believers, all Christians, everywhere throughout all time. And the first uh, GC, we see in uh, Matthew chapter 22 and Mark chapter 12, and we can summarize it in this way, love God and love others. It's the great commandment. Let's look at the text and just see how this comes about. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. See, here's here's what's happening. The Pharisees uh, were uh, religious leaders of the day and they were were devout. Their, Their heart, their desire was to honor God in every way. And uh, they kept track of how many rules there were, how many commands God had made in the Old Testament. Do you know how many? 613 is the number in the first five books of the Old Testament, 613 commands. Now the Pharisees uh, in their zeal went beyond those 613 and started adding their own kind of offense around those so they didn't even come close to breaking those. And uh, over time, the problem with the Pharisees is that they began to love those rules more than they loved God. And that ended up in a lot of struggle and frustration for them. But in this case, they're, uh, they're hearing this and they say, hey, if, if he's really a, a rabbi, really a good teacher, he would know these commands, wouldn't he? Let's put him to the test. Uh, and in fact, uh, here's what I'm gonna do. One of them, who's a lawyer, said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him these five, or I'm gonna just ask him a question. Hey, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? And if he comes back and says, it's this one, well, I've got these five in my back pocket I'm ready to counter with. If he says it's one of these, then I've got these 10 over here that I can counter with. We're gonna test him, gonna trap him. And so they ask him, they said, teacher, uh, rabbi, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Not really wanting to know, but to test him. And Jesus stumps him. It's pretty incredible. He says this, he says, well, quotes from Deuteronomy chapter six. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first command. 
Love God, there's the first part, right? And then Jesus adds on to that and he says there's a second that's very much like it. You shall love your neighbor like you love yourself. So did you see that? Love God, love others. The great commandment, that's what Jesus gives us. And then what's incredible, here's, here's where he really stumps him though. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's referring to sections of the Old Testament. So the whole Old Testament relies on fulfilling these two commands. If you'll really love God and you'll really love others, you'll fulfill all 613 that you've got in mind. They didn't know what to say to that. Pretty profound. So that's one of the general calls that God puts on every believer. That's the first GC. Here's the second one. Uh, It's in Matthew chapter 28. It's the great commission, which is to make disciples. We're all called to this. Here's how Jesus says it. He, he said, uh, came and said to them, he he'd told everybody where they were gonna meet and they were gonna gather. This is after his resurrection. And so they meet at this mountain in Galilee and he comes to them and he says, uh, friends, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in other words, pay attention. And then he gives the command. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, everyone everywhere baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to to obey and uh, to follow every command that I've given you. Which you could summarize those in two commands, right? Love God, love others. And behold, he said, I'm with you always, even to the very end. Uh, Sometimes we look at this and we think there's all these commands of, you know, we gotta go and we gotta baptize and we gotta teach. And really the command is just make disciples. And all those other things modify how we make disciples, how we make followers of Jesus and encourage people to follow him. And so that's GC squared. Great commandment, great commission. And friends, that's the call of God, on, of Jesus on, on every Christian throughout all time in every place. No one escapes that call. That's his call for, for our church. In fact, do you see these things in our mission statement? We're sent, go therefore, to do what? To love people, love God, love others, and invite them to follow Jesus. That's being a disciple, to do it with us. So so our mission statement is just another way to articulate GC squared. Maybe a little more understandable than my algebra equation. But let's see how this plays out in the early church here in Acts chapter six. In verse one, we read now in these days uh, when the disciples were increasing in number. They, they were increasing. Friends, they were, they were about this. They were making disciples. There were more disciples now than there were the day before. And if you turn back in the text, you go back to like chapter two and, and chapter four. Chapter two, you read about the fact that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to one another and They were loving one another and it was clear by their love for one another that they were followers of Jesus and they were caring for one another. They were loving God, loving one another and they were making disciples. They were doing it. They were fulfilling that general call that Jesus put on them as a people. But here's what I wanna throw at you this morning is not only does Jesus give a general call to all of us, I I believe he makes a specific call on each of us. Jesus places a call on all of us, but he also does on each of us. 
What do I mean by that? Well, let me ask you a question. If you hear that call, you know, you're to make disciples, you're to uh, reach every nation for Jesus. If, if that was the call, the only call Jesus left us with, uh, what would you feel? A little overwhelmed? A little like, how in the world am I supposed to do that? There's no way I can do that. And then um, you have some other things come to mind too. You'll, you might feel discouraged thinking I could never do that. And when you think of evangelism, you might start to think of evangelists, like people with that gift who are just uh, really winsome and really able to talk to anyone, anywhere, at any time about Jesus. And they articulate their faith so well and, and people are just drawn to them. And you're like, Josh, when I try to share my faith, I just, I know it and I know what I want to say, but it, it, it doesn't reach my mouth. It doesn't come out. And, uh, or, or maybe the apologist who, who knows all the right answers to the tough questions, you know, and they've, they've thought through and can answer all the arguments of the faith, arguments that, that I've never thought of, but they've got an answer for them. And so we hear that sometimes. If you're like me, you might hear that and start to think, well, man, I, I don't know that I can do that. I mean, uh, I know people who are really gifted and maybe they're on the platform on a Sunday morning and maybe they're gifted to do that, but I don't know about me. I mean, what's my role? I, I, maybe, maybe my life isn't all that pleasing to God. Maybe, maybe my role really doesn't matter all that much after all. I guess I'll just kind of bide my time and you know, do my thing and see what he has. And you might buy into the lie that of thinking this to yourself, you know, I, I can't do that because maybe you don't say it this way, but you might think it. Because I'm not a super Christian. I'm not a superstar Christian. Well, if you remember the, like the third week of our time in the book of Acts last fall, one of the things that I shared was this, that the book of Acts is not about super Christians. Neither is anywhere in the Bible. In fact, the only person you could qualify in that category would be Jesus himself. The reality is that the book of Acts tells the story of the church uh, where Jesus is at work through messed up people like you and me, just turn to your neighbor and say, like you, go ahead, do it. Just tell him, remind him, like you, to build his church. He, he uses us. He uses you. And he gives each of us different gifts and different abilities to do that. In fact, he has, I'm arguing here that he has a unique call on your life. The unique way he wants you to contribute to this overall mission of making disciples and loving God and loving others. He's uniquely given you a calling to accomplish that. He has. Let me show you Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians two, we read that um, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your own doing, not by works so that nobody can boast about it. It's, it's all God's grace. He saves us, he does it. Because we're his workmanship. You're his creation. See this word uh, workmanship, if you could see underneath it, the word is poema, we get the word poem. Work of art. Some translations will say his masterpiece, your God's handiwork, his craftsmanship. Like he's uniquely made you. 
You were created in Christ Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. He's created you, recreated you in Jesus. What for? For good works. Now, here's the next part. Here's what I really want to draw your attention to, though. Uh, Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know what that is? That's dream language. That God's been dreaming about your life. He saw from eternity past into time to see who you would be, to know when you would live, appointed the time and place where you would be born, the gifts and abilities and personality that you would have, the story of your life. And he said, you know what, with with her, with him, I have good works in mind for them. I have a dream for them, looking into the future of things that he would love for you to accomplish and to do. That would bring great joy to you and glory to him. God's been dreaming about your life and he has a unique calling on you and on me. Friend, uh, he has a plan for how he wants you specifically to be part of living out that great commission and great commandment. And, And he's given you a unique shape in order to accomplish it in you and through you. What do I mean by that? We, we've talked about this before, and um, let's just review it. Uh, SHAPE is an acronym. Uh, you're not gonna find this, you know, this acronym in the Bible, but you are gonna find these things in scripture in terms of God's creation of us. And the S is your spiritual gifts. Well, what do I mean by that? Spiritual gifts, that sounds kind of strange. Well, spiritual gifts are a set of God-given, Holy Spirit-empowered, spiritual abilities that are given to every believer in Jesus Christ. Friend, if, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, congratulations, you're gifted. You've been given at least one, I would argue probably a number of spiritual gifts. How do I know this? Well, the scripture says so. That to each, every person, every believer, is given the manifestation of the spirit. And this is in a chapter where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. He uses that term at other places, different gifts given to us. The manifestation of the spirit, spiritual gifts for the common good, for all of us. He's uniquely shaped you and given each of you and myself unique callings, why? So that all of us could fulfill our calling of making disciples and loving God and loving others. Paul goes on and he writes to them. He says, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of those tongues. And all of these, he said, are empowered by one and the same spirit. Notice what that spirit does, what the Holy Spirit does. He apportions to each one of us individually as he wills. That means he's given each of us, according to his will, spiritual gifts if you're a follower of Jesus. You've repented and put your trust in him. You are gifted, friends. And not only this, though, I would argue uh, that God uses your entire shape. So let's unpack the rest of this acronym. Not only your spiritual gifts, but your heart your passions. What are are your passions? In other words, what are the loves of your life? 
what turns your crank? You know, you might be passionate about a specific people, a group of people. You might be, specific, be passionate about a specific place. You might be passionate about a specific issue. Listen, God didn't make a mistake giving you those passions. You're his workmanship, created for good works, probably in the realm of those passions and in that heart. Maybe you're passionate about uh, teaching something or a, a sport or what, what, God's given you that heart and those passions. It's not a mistake. He's also given you unique abilities. Do you know you're good at some things I'm not very good at? And chances are I'm probably good at some things maybe you're not very good at. And that's all by God's design. That's a good thing. And by the way, you are good at some things. You have some natural ability and talent. Don't, don't look at me like you don't. You do. You do. Don't buy into that lie. You have some things that you are talented in and gifted in. And you have abilities that are unique to you. And I would argue there's probably no one quite like you who has that same mix of spiritual gifts and of heart and passions and abilities. And then you add in the next piece of your shape, your personality. This is just, you know, kind of how you relate to people and situations. It's, the, it's kind of the special way God's wired you to navigate life. Some of you, you're the life of the party and you can talk to anyone, anywhere. Uh, some of you, uh, you'd rather just sit on a chair with a bowl of popcorn all by yourself and that's the greatest thing in the world. That's okay. That's how God's wired you. It's how you go about life. It's how you navigate the world. He, listen, he didn't make a mistake giving you that personality. And different personalities all serve in different roles and even like in, in my role, right, as leading a church and as a pastor, there's some pastors who are just super gregarious and outgoing and extroverted. And there's other ones like me who, I'll take the bowl of popcorn, you know? And then there's, there's some who God's wired, like you think really well on your feet, like you're, you're a good debater, like God's gifted you that way. And then there's others, and especially when you hear this idea of making disciples and being an evangelist and you're going, uh, okay, I get it, I know that, and I know the right things, but, but man, when, when those moments come, I just don't think well on my feet. I just, I kind of freeze up. Well, again, that's just to give you insight into me, that's, that's kind of me. Like if, if you want to win an argument with me, start one. Like I just don't, like I'm, I do better after the meeting, like when I have time to process and think about it, you know? Some people in the moment, man, they're ready to go. God didn't make a mistake in that. Sometimes I get frustrated with that, but then I realize, well, God probably saved me from saying a lot of things that wouldn't be very good for me <laughs> to say in the moment too. That's all his gift. What's your personality? And then you have some unique experiences in your life no one, I would argue, throughout all of human history grew up with your same spiritual gifts, your same passions, your same abilities, your same personality in the same environment you did. Grew up in the same way, work at the exact same job, have the same story throughout your life, the good experiences and the bad ones. 
no one else has that shape, do you see? You've been uniquely shaped by God and I would argue he's been dreaming about your life. He has good works in mind for you. Toward what end? Accomplishing that great commandment and great commission. And as you live into that, everyone gets blessed by that in our church. We do. See, here's, here's the lie of our culture is that you can become anyone you wanna be and you can do anything you wanna do. That's a lie. You wanna know what the truth is? You can do and become everything that God has in mind for you. And there's a lot more joy in that than there is in trying to be somebody you're not. Because friend, you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So all that said, I'd encourage you, uh, you can even pull out your phone right now. Text SHAPE to that number, 833-271-8805. Join us that morning. We'll unpack more of this, helping you discover who you are and just trusting God in that process to give you great joy in living that out. So I'd love for you to come to that mini retreat. but let's get back to the text here and see uh, how some of these things are lived out and play out in the early church. Again, in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. It was a growing group of people. And then a, a complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. See, as the church grew in numbers, like any organization, any group of people, it, it also grew in complexity. And so then there was some struggle. And, uh, you know, one group complaining against the other, and uh, it, it's kind of sounding like a real family now. Now, uh, I would argue, and what we're going to see here is the church needed a little structure as it grew. And so I'm going to uh, use a gardening principle. Those of you who are gardeners, you're going to understand this, and then we're going to see it play out here in the early church. You know, there's uh, certain plants that are called vining plants. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Plants such as uh, pole beans and peas, certain squashes and cucumbers. And in order for them to grow and really thrive, they have to grow on some kind of a trellis. There's gotta be some kind of a support structure. Otherwise, they're just gonna flounder on the ground and it's just gonna be a big mess. And nothing's gonna grow to full maturity. Well, I would argue... Uh, This is a principle that's true in the church. Did you know Jesus compares the church to a vining plant? He says uh, in John 15, I'm the vine and you're all the branches. We're all the branches. Whoever abides in me will have life, right? And you know, a vineyard, this is a vineyard in Ensenada, Mexico. You notice uh, for a vineyard to really grow and be fruitful, there's some structure in place for it as well, a trellis for it to grow on. Otherwise, it's just gonna kind of flounder on the ground and uh, it's not gonna grow the best fruit. Well, I think what we see here in just a moment in this passage is that the early church, these early Christians, they're growing organically, they're multiplying in number, but now uh, there's some things happening where they need some structure in order to keep growing and for things to be healthy. And we start to see some of that take place. So I I joked earlier that the 12, they 
They call the first ever church business meeting there in Acts chapter six. They said, hey, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We need a plan for this. How can we go about it? And uh, therefore, here's what I think we should do. we think you should do, why don't you appoint seven men, you know, find men who are of good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, and uh, appoint them to this duty. They're creating some structure. The word there to serve tables, diakonos, deacons, maybe you've heard that term before. Some say, well, these are the first example of, of deacons in the church. That could be. It could also just be that they're adding a little bit of structure here to care for a need in the moment. It's not really clear. And uh, God didn't make a mistake by not giving specific instructions of how every church throughout time should function other than some really good instruction for who the leaders should be, men of good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. But beyond that, each church is free to organize itself and go about things in, in a way that's best for their local context with their people and their place. And the the apostles said, you know, hey, we're gonna devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word then. And so they they find seven guys who meet these qualifications. They they bring them before the 12 and they're appointed into ministry. They laid hands on them and prayed over them. And now there was this structure where we get to verse seven and it says, the disciples continued to multiply in in great number. The, The vine grew organically, but on that trellis with greater fruitfulness. Do you see? So I'm gonna take just a short detour here because you might be thinking, okay, well, how do we do that here? How do you do that at Wawasee? Some of you, you're fairly new. It might be just good to, to give you a, a quick clue. Uh, we, we would hold to what we would call a congregational form of governance uh, led by our elders, but it's congregationalism. Meaning that uh, those who are members of the church who pursue church membership, commit themselves to the body here, are believers in Jesus, really are the highest governing authority in our church other than Jesus himself. And so our elders are accountable to the membership. I'm accountable to our elders and accountable to you. And, uh, and that's kind of how we function. I'll spare you all the details of that right now. But then another piece of that, part of our trellis, we use this uh, metaphor of the soccer field. And uh, you're not gonna find a soccer field in the Bible in case you wondered. If you go look, you won't. But what you will find is a ministry playing out kind of like a soccer game plays out. I'm not a big soccer fan. I'm okay watching it, but I really don't understand all the time what's happening. I just see people running around doing all kinds of stuff and there's no boundaries other than the out of bounds and what's, what's going on here? Sometimes ministry can feel like that. <laughs> like everything's just going around. Not quite sure, but there's, there's a point to it. Well, uh, in that way, uh, hopefully we'd be more structured than that, but our elders then are tasked with in, enforcing the, the boundaries of the field, of the game, so to speak. So our elders define and protect those. So at, at every board meeting the last 10 years, like our agenda lays out these four categories of, of resources, our budget, our finances, all that stuff, property, our goals, culture, vision, what are we looking for in the future, foundations, our statement of faith, constitution, membership, uh, our guidelines, purpose, mission and values, all that sort of stuff. And uh, then our pastors and staff are tasked with leading the game as a player coach on the field within those boundaries. And for an elder, if they serve somewhere in ministry, if they're playing in the game, you know, maybe in kids ministry or in student ministry or on the worship team, 
They don't come in and go, I'm an elder, don't do it like that. You know? No, they just come in and serve in their role under that authority, mutual submission in that way. And then when the time is right, they, they step back and we work on those boundaries and keep the game going in the healthiest way. That's kind of the trellis. Now, I'm not gonna bore you with all that because some of you really don't care and that's okay, I get it. But if you want to know more, sign up. I'll give you another plug. Sign up for discovery class. Text discovery to that number. If you've been a member for years of our church and you're like, I, don't, I forgot about all this, sign up for discovery class. We'd love for you to come and tell you more about it. Uh, you're always welcome to be a part of that. But friends, as we uh, get close to wrapping up this morning, Jesus has placed a call on all of us and on each of us, all of us to, to love God and love others and to make disciples. And we see that here in the early church and they grew as they did that and they created some structure, created a trellis for that to grow on and thrive on. And, and we attempt to do the same being faithful to God's word here in our context. But that's carried out by him having a unique call on each of us that he has unique things for you to accomplish within that greater mission. According to your gifts and your heart and your abilities and your personality and, and your experiences, a call that's unique to you that no one else has. See, God's been dreaming about your life and he has a call on it. And just like uh, the 12 here in Acts chapter six, they knew their call was to preach and teach the word and then guys like Stephen to serve and what is it for you? Have you asked God? You sought him out in that? Sign up for shape. And here's the great news is that as you do that, knowing that he has a call on all of us and each of us, that Jesus is the one who will fulfill it. He's the one who helps you live into it. Jesus said, I, to Peter, Peter, I will build my church. <laughs> Just follow me. Just live out your calling, your assignment. I'll build it. I'll do it. See, and in uh, the end of, chapter, or of our passage this morning here, verse seven of chapter six, we read that the, the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly. And a great many of the priests, even the Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. But Jesus was the one who was at work through his spirit. I will build my church. And so, again, I just leave you with this, this charge this morning. Uh, know that God has a call on all of us, but he has a call uniquely on you as well. I believe that. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I don't know, Josh, I'm kind of old. Moses didn't do anything until he was 80, okay? That's when he saw the burning bush. God's not done with you. He's not. So, uh, my challenge to you is let go of what's not yours. Quit trying to be somebody that you're not or living to a calling that you've bought into is that you could just be whoever you wanna be and take hold of what is yours and live into everything that God wants you to be. And when you do that, friend, God gets a lot of glory because that's the way he designed you. That's what he shaped you for. And not only this, but... Everyone else gets a lot of good because he's given a call to each of us for the benefit of all of us. And then what's in it for you? Well, a lot of joy, 
a lot of joy. So I'd encourage you, sign up for SHAPE if you're interested. Pray about this, talk about it. High school students, we're, we're going through a thing called Unique Wednesday night starting this Wednesday over in Milford. Love for you to be a part of that in the next eight weeks and kind of looking at that for your own life. And uh, with that though, let me pray. We'll call it a morning.